we're literally thinking of the form of God. And this is a meditation which has the power to purify our mind, because God is divine. So if we attach our mind to God, then our mind is automatically purified through His grace. <clears throat> the next question I will take up is, if we're meditating on God, could we not meditate on formless God instead of meditating on Krishna or Ram or any personal form of God? In our Vedas, it is acknowledged that God has both aspects. Murtan chaiva murtan eva brahmane brahmano rupe God is both murt and amurt. Murt means, like we have murtis here in the mandir. So a murti is an actual form of God. So God is murt, but he's also amurt. Amurt means he's formless. Not two gods, not one god with a form and one god without a form, but one single god is both formless and sakar. We have another term we use. Sakar means sa-akar. Akar meaning form. So with form or nirakar, without form. God is both. Nirakar and Sakar. In the Gita, Arjun asked Sri Krishna directly that is it better to meditate on you in your personal form or on your avyakt form? Sri Krishna replied, it's much easier to meditate on me, on my personal form. Arjuna said, Evam satata yukta ye bhaktasmam paryupasate. Which is better? Some people worship, many people do bhakti to you, some people do bhakti to your personal form, some people do bhakti to your impersonal form. In other words, some meditate on you, and some meditate on you as being formless. Shri Krishna said, although both will come to me, te prapnuvanti maanem, both will come to me only, they won't go anywhere else, because I am both. In fact, he had said elsewhere in the Gita, brahmano pratishtaham, I am the very pratishtha of nirakar brahm. Pratishtha means the foundation in which something is established. So Sri Krishna is saying, Brahm, Nirakar, Brahm is not someone different than me. No separate entity. I am that Brahm. That Brahm is simply me in another way. That's all. And Anyone can try to meditate on any form of God, no form, with form. However, having success is another matter. He says, 
meditating on my formless aspect, if you have a, any attachment in your own body or in this world, it's extremely difficult. For someone who inhabits a body, who relates to all things that have form, is attached to their own body, is attached to so many things in the world, for such a person to try to meditate on my avyakta, Form. Avyakt means unmanifest. It is extremely difficult. He used the word klesh. Klesh means a difficulty. So he said, klesh adhik. So a lot of klesh. But he didn't stop there. He said, klesh adhikatar. There's extreme klesh in trying to meditate on my formless aspect. What is avyakt? Shri Krishna is referring to himself as Avyakt because Arjun used the same word. Ye tesham ke yoga vittama. Arjun said, Is it better to meditate on your Avyakt form or your Vyakt form? Vyakt means manifested, Avyakt means unmanifested. So what's the difference between Shri Krishna and formless God? Or any, I'm saying Shri Krishna, but Shri Krishna also exists in many other forms as Shiva, Durga, Ram, Vishnu. These are all one and the same. They all are the personal form of God. So they are all Vyakt. And Nirakar Brahm is Avyakt unmanifest. What this means is that what is there inside of Shri Krishna, all of his unlimited powers, that is Vyakt in his form. And as Nirakar Brahm, it is Avyakt. Not completely Avyakt, mostly Avyakt. So we sometimes refer to formless God as Alpavyakta Shaktik Brahm. Alp means a little bit. There's just a little bit of God's divine power which is manifested. Just enough to maintain the existence. Meaning if Nirakar Brahm didn't at least use some power to maintain his existence, then even that wouldn't exist. So he's using some of his power. But all of his other qualities, qualities like beauty, well you can't have beauty without a form. And the form is not manifest because the power required to manifest that form is dormant in formless God. The power is there because it's the same God. But like you when you're sleeping, you may have multiple PhDs, you're so intelligent, but when you're sleeping, your intelligence is avyakt. It's not being used or manifested in any way. So it's there inside of you, but it's dormant. You may be an Olympic weightlifter, 
But when you're asleep, all of your strength is abhyakt. It's the same thing with Nirakar Brahm. All of God's unlimited powers, or almost all of them, lie dormant in formless God. So no form is manifested, although the potential to have a form is there, but it's just not activated. Even other qualities that we love in God, like kindness, graciousness, all of that is abhyakt as well. Because Nirakar Brahm, it's interesting to think this, but in that aspect, God has no awareness of his own existence. Because all of the powers are dormant. So it's not like Nirakar Brahm is thinking, oh, I have to grace this soul. No, he's not thinking anything. His intelligence is even up there. He just is. That's it. But he's not even aware of his own existence or his own blissfulness, he just is. And even using the word he or she is incorrect for Nirakar Brahm. Because if there's no form manifest, that you can't have a male or female gender. But you can't really use it for God, because it is used for lifeless energies, and God is not a lifeless energy. So there's no proper way to refer to Nirakar Brahm. He has all the divine powers, but none of them are manifested. No form, no name. Brahm is not his name. It's just a word we use to indicate. <laughs> but there's actually no name, no form, no qualities or virtues or characteristics of any kind that could be described. In Mandukya Upanishad, this Nirakar Brahm is described. Adrishta Madhyavaharya Magrahya Malakchana Machintya Madhyapadeshya Mekatma Pratyayasaram Prapancho Pashamam Shantam Shiva Madhvaitam. How is that Nirakar Brahm? Adrishta cannot be seen. Avyavaharya. You know how we interact with each other? We relate to each other? You can't relate to or interact with Nirakar Brahm. Agrahya. Grahya means can be grasped by the senses. So if you can't see him, you can't smell him, you can't touch him, you can't taste him, there's no way to experience him. Achintya cannot be conceived in the mind. Alakchana. No characteristics, discernible characteristics of any kind. Now that you've heard the description of formless God, if someone told you to meditate on formless God, what would you do? <laughs> okay, there's Nirakar Brahm, he has no form, no name, no qualities or characteristics of any kind, nothing I can even describe to you, now meditate on him. You'll say, meditate on what? Yes. <laughs> There's no way. This is why Sri Krishna said it's so difficult. Even Shankaracharya cautioned that meditating on formless God, which is part of the path of Jnana, it's for highly qualified people. 
were completely above their own body consciousness even. If you've transcended to that level of a high spiritual consciousness, that you have no attachment to your own physical body or anything in this world, then you're getting close to being qualified to meditate on formless God. Or even before you meditate, to hear some true Guruji describe to you what is Nirakar Brahm. Before you even reach that stage of being qualified to hear that, you have to already be at such a high level of renunciation from this world. And even if someone could qualify, you might be shocked to hear that Shankaracharya himself says, Shuddhayati hinantaratma krishna padam bhoja bhakti mrite the heart cannot be fully purified without devotion to the lotus feet of Shri Krishna. That's exact word for word what he says. And he is the one who taught meditating on formless God. Yet you cannot fully purify your heart unless you meditate on Sakar Brahma. If someone were to try to meditate on formless God and Many people do try. What would we actually be meditating on? What could we think of? We would think, okay, try to meditate on something formless. So what's formless? Uh, the air. And try to think of something like that. Or space. But space is a material thing. If you're meditating on a material thing, that's not God. Someone may meditate on light, because light is perceived by us as being formless. But what kind of light would we think of? We would think of the light we've seen. And light is a material thing. So if you're meditating on any material thing, it's not the same as meditating on formless God. You may try to meditate on nothingness, but God is not nothing. He's something, but an indescribable something. <laughs> so it's so abstract. Abstract is the correct word. It's completely abstract, so it's very difficult for the human mind to be able to grasp what should I actually meditate on. Then many people try to meditate on Aham Brahmasmi I am God Meaning that formless God Who cannot be described Who has no form, no characteristics, no qualities That Nirakar Brahm is omnipresent and I am that So if we're not even correctly conceiving God to begin with what is actual Nirakar Brahm? And then we're thinking in our mind, I am God, I am God. What is going to be the result of that? Multiplying our ahankar, multiplying our false pride, what else? Nothing good can come out of that. The actual path Shankaracharya taught, where that was part of it, meditating on your oneness with God, you have to be at that level to conceive that. We're not even past the 
superficial level of our conscious mind and we're thinking, I am God, I am God. So what, what is the result of that? Only the development of our own ego, our own vanity. This is not the, the way it's supposed to work when you're meditating on God. You're supposed to inculcate God's divine qualities. So it is said, Kahat kathin samujhat kathin sadhan kathin vivek Tulsiras Ji says, Kahat kathin, just to describe formless God as near impossible. Samujhat kathin, to understand about formless God is even more difficult. And then the actual practice of meditating on formless God is extremely difficult. So it is not a path for ordinary people. That's the point. It is a path. It's described in our scriptures. There have been saints who described this path and taught this path, but it is not for the general public. It's for those who are already extreme renunciates from this world, not just from outside, but from inside and have already attained a very high level. One time, Shankaracharya was approached by a very pious religious man and asked that, uh, can I make you my Guruji and will you teach me this meditation on formless God, which is called the path of Jnana. Now, Shankaracharya had known that this man was coming and before he reached his ashram he had told someone who was doing some seva outside sweeping that uh, when this man comes by who's just coming now I want you to purposefully when you sweep make sure some of the dust gets on him when he comes so she did that the dust got on him and he grumbled at her, how dare you, don't you have eyes, can't you see where I'm walking? And then he continued inside and met Jagadguru Shri Shankaracharya. And Shankaracharya, when he was asked, can I make you my guru, can you teach me this path of jnana, path of meditating on formless God? He said, no, you're not qualified. I saw you grumbling at that... Uh, Mataji outside, and uh, you, you have too much anger, you don't have control over your mind. Okay, then what should I do? He said, go and do parikrama around Govardhan Hill, the holy hill that Sri Krishna had held aloft to protect all the Brajwasis, and everybody nowadays goes and does parikrama and remembers Sri Krishna as they walk around Govardhan Hill. So he said, you go and chant Radhe Govinda and walk all around this hill. Keep doing Parikrama of Govardhan Hill. Just beg for a little bit of food and keep chanting Radhe name for a whole year and come back to me. So he did what he was told. And after the year, Shankaracharya again knew he was coming and he told the same Sevak who was sweeping the, the dust outside that this time, just getting a little dust on him won't be enough. I want you to actually touch him with the broom <laughs> and the dust, both, like that. 
She did as she was told. Now the man didn't say anything, but he, he definitely boiled inside. But then he caught himself, and he didn't say anything. And he went inside Guruji, Guruji said, no, <laughs> not yet, you're not ready yet. Go again one whole year, same thing, do Parikrama of Govardhan Hill and keep chanting Radhe Govind. So he did what he was told again. And he came back after a year and his heart was much more purified now. So Shankaracharya told that same person that this time I want you to pick up the dustbin and <laughs> dump it on his head. <laughs> she did as she was told and this time he fell at her feet and thanked her that, Oh my mother, you are my first guru. You have taught me humbleness. Then he went inside and Shankaracharya said, Now you're qualified to hear about Niraka Brahma. So how many people in the world are at that level of heart purification that all of their inner problems have been cleared out, no more attachments, and now they're ready for that level of instruction? Out of billions of people it would be amazing to find even ten in this whole entire world who are at that level. So meditating on formless God is not for the average citizen, let's put it that way. But meditating on the personal form of God is for everybody. Someone might say, wouldn't it be easier to meditate on the personal form of God if I had actually seen God? They may go to some Guruji who is teaching, meditating on Shri Krishna and say, okay, I'm ready to meditate on Shri Krishna, but I've never seen him. So can you please show him to me? Guruji says, no, 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 you don't need to see him. Just meditate on his form. Anyone can do it. There's no pre-qualification. If you have a desire to meet him, you can just start meditating on his form. No, no, Guruji, please, just, just show him to me briefly one time. So why would Guruji not do that? If he's a true God-realized saint, he can certainly ask Krishna to come right now. Just come, show yourself to this... Uh, spiritual person who's desiring to meditate on you, Krishna would have to come. He obeys all the desires of his surrendered saints. But Guruji would not do that. Because Guruji knows that would actually cause more harm than good. Just like the parent knows the best thing for the child. The child thinks, oh, I want this. That would be so great. The child may even cry for that. And the parent says, cry all you want not going to help you, so I'm not giving you that. Guruji knows if he showed us Krishna right now, it wouldn't help us. It would probably have the opposite effect. Now this is difficult to understand. Why? Who wouldn't want to see Krishna? Saints and scriptures are telling us that he's our goal, he is perfect happiness, and so far I'm just taking your word for it, that it's written in Ved, it's written in Gita, it's written in Bhagavatam, this saint has said, that saint has said, so I believe in Krishna, 
But wouldn't it help me believe in him more if I actually got to see him? And that's what we think. But what would happen if we actually did see him? We wouldn't see him see him. We wouldn't see him for what he is. We would see him according to our level of spiritual evolution, which is not that great. We would see him with our material senses, our material eyes, and so we would perceive him to be the same as us. We would not actually perceive his divinity. When a divine saint with divine eyes sees him, like King Janak, who was a God-realized saint, but he had not seen God in his personal form, he had only experienced God as formless, but since he was a divine personality, his mind and senses were divine. So when Ram, who was taking avatar on earth at that time, came before him, then he actually saw him. And the bliss he received from seeing Ram in his personal form was so great that he abandoned the bliss of impersonal God forever. Such was the greatness of meeting God face to face. So we hear stories like that and we say, I have never experienced anything as great as King Janak. He had the unlimited bliss of formless God and he renounced that in order to get the bliss of the personal form. I've not even had one millionth of that much happiness. So I would very quickly renounce any kind of happiness I've had in this world if Krishna just showed himself to me once. But we don't have the same eyes King Janak had. So we would not perceive Sri Krishna even as being, even as being particularly attractive or handsome or beautiful. Quite likely, we, if you stood, let's say Sri Krishna said, okay, I'm coming. And he came to us. And he stood there. And then we put your son, or your best friend, or someone you're very attached to, your husband, next to Shri Krishna, you would find them more attractive than Shri Krishna. Because your mind is more attached to them, number one, and number two, with material eyes, we can't actually see Krishna's divine beauty. So to us, everything looks material, even the divine thing. Krishna's body is not material, it's divine. Tamekam Govindam Satchidananda Vigraham. Ved tells us, Gopala Purvatapaniya Upanishad tells us that God's body is not made of the material elements like ours is. Our body is made of atoms and elements of this earth. God's is not. His is made of Sat. Chit Anand, the divine elements. So his body is always divine, his body is eternal. With that same singular body, he's omnipresent. That's why in the 11th chapter of the Gita, he shows Arjun. And Arjun sees his hands and feet and heads and faces everywhere. That's how he describes it to us. What it actually means is he saw Krishna everywhere, everywhere he looked. But only after Krishna gave him divine eyes. 
When he said, Drashtumichami te rupa maishwaram purushottama. Shri Krishna, I desire to see your almighty form, where I see all of your divine power with my own eyes. Krishna said, Natumam shakya se drashtu mani naivasvachakshusha. You can't see me with your eyes, Arjun. But since you are fully surrendered to me, so, Vivyam dadami te pashyame yoga maishwaram. So I'll, I can grace you with my divine power that will give you divine sight, divine eyes. So with your divine eyes, you will see me in my actual divine form. And he did. And he described it in many shlokas in the 11th chapter. But that was after receiving divine eyes. Before receiving divine eyes, what did he see? Krishna sitting on the chariot in front of him. And the whole world is around him. And he's saying, Krishna, you keep telling me you're omnipresent, but I only see you at one place. You keep telling me the whole world is within you, but I see you within the world. And the world is all around you. Then once he got the divine eyes, then he saw the reality. So if Krishna came before us, we would not even recognize him as God. We would say, oh, good outfit, who dressed him up? You look just like the descriptions of Krishna. But you can't be Krishna because I'm not even attracted to you. Krishna means all attractive. He even attracts the heart of other forms of God. Vishnu, Lakshmi, Shiva, Brahma. They're all attracted to Sri Krishna. But we who have a material heart and material eyes, we are not even that attracted by His beauty. We are like... Someone, you see, if you have jaundice and you look at a white wall, it looks yellow. You look at a white sheet of paper, it looks yellow. Is it the fault of the white wall? Is it the fault of the white paper? No. It's the fault in our senses. Similarly, Krishna can be standing right before us and they'll say, oh, he's just like me. Because our material eyes have that mayik rog, just like ilia rog, the jaundice. Our senses are infected with, well, not just infected with, they are mayik, they are material. So even when they see a divine thing, it appears to be material. So if Guruji showed us Sri Krishna, we would say, okay, now I've seen him, now I don't even have the meditation, the, the motivation to meditate on him. Why? Because I've already met him and it was nothing special. I get more happiness from gazing on my own child than I got from meeting Sri Krishna in person. So now why should I bother to follow the path to God? Why should I spend time every day meditating on him? Been there, done that. <laughs> So, see, that's why Guruji doesn't show us. And in fact, you could surmise that since we are eternal, and Krishna is eternal, and we've been taking birth after birth since eternity, so we've had unlimited lifetimes. We've had unlimited human births. And Sri Krishna has also taken avatar unlimited times. So, 
it's reasonable to assume we would have met him at some time. I mean, he's there walking around in India. If we're born on the same continent, there's a good chance, not maybe not a good chance, but some chance we could have passed through Brej and met him, seen him with our own eyes. So imagine in unlimited lifetimes, we must have seen Sri Krishna unlimited times, just through a chance encounter like that. And yet, here we are today, no closer to having found him. So asking any Guruji to show us Sri Krishna is not the way. That's like asking for the result before we do the work. Like going to a university and saying, I'm prepared to study all these classes and give all these exams, but you first give me my diploma. <laughs> I'm prepared to plant this tree and water it and prune it, but first you give me the fruit. It doesn't work that way in the world, why would we expect it to work that way in the spiritual world? And it doesn't. So we have to meditate on Shri Krishna without having seen him. So someone could say, if you haven't seen him, how are you even going to imagine him? Just like, wasn't I just a few minutes ago saying, whatever you're going to imagine about Nirakar Brahm, formless God, it's all going to be material? It would have to be. Our material mind can only think of material things. Go go chara jahalagi man jai so sab maya jane ubhai. Ramayana. Bhagwan Ram says to his brother that wherever the human mind can go will only be within the field of maya because the mind itself is made of maya, so how could it go beyond maya? And God is by definition beyond maya. So you may try to reach God with your thoughts. Yato vacho nivartante aprapya manasa saha taitriyo panishad. But the mind will always fail to reach God and it will return empty-handed. So if every thought we're going to have can only be a material thought, every image we can form in our mind will only be a material thing, how can anyone meditate on God, either formless or the personal form? That's the big question. If it is impossible to meditate on formless God, then why is it possible to meditate on the personal form of God? The reason has to do with God, not with us. The personal form of God, all of His faculties and qualities and powers are awakened and manifested and for us the most important of all of those powers is his power of grace his kripa shakti and his will to grace not just the ability to grace but the will to grace that he's looking for any chance to grace any soul 
formless God is the same Shri Krishna, but in him all those powers are dormant, even the power of grace. So even were you to try sincerely to meditate on formless God, you could never receive the grace of formless God. That's why even a great jnani has, even at the very end, when that jnani has purified his heart and he's ready for liberation, but he can't liberate himself from maya, what does he have to do? Moksha karana samak griyam bhakti Again, Shankaracharya tells us, to get liberated he has to do bhakti. Only through bhakti. Bhakti meaning surrender to the personal form of God. Only then he can get liberation. He says that, O oh Krishna, it was only with your grace. Tvat prasadat. Only with your grace have I received liberation. Even Shankaracharya admits it. So, formless God cannot grace us if we try to meditate on Him. But any personal form of God can grace us. Formless God is also omnipresent because it's the same God. So if God is omnipresent, He's omnipresent in all of His aspects and forms. So one single God is present everywhere as formless, as Krishna, as Ram, as Vishnu, as Shiva, as Durga, in all of His forms. So no matter what form you worship, you can receive His grace. If He is omnipresent, His grace is also omnipresent. So when we meditate on the personal form of God, although it is true that the image we form is our own material imagination, yet if we meditate with the faith that, well, is it not a fact that Krishna is right here? So if you close your eyes and meditate that Krishna is standing right here in front of you, it's true, He is. You're actually joining your mind with Him through that effort. So you receive His grace. So even though you could say our meditation is nakali, it's not real meditation on God, because that would only be possible when you get a divine mind after God-realization. But after God-realization, you don't need to meditate on God. <laughs> Meditating is for reaching God. Once you've reached God, you're never separate from Him. Why? You don't even have to put any effort to see God or think of God. We have to put the effort, and yet our effort will always fall short. Yet, God accepts our effort. He knows that we can never actually form His correct divine image in our material mind, but He sees us trying, and He graces us accordingly. So it's that simple. It's due to His kindness and His grace that we are able to meditate on Him, even though we're not qualified to meditate on Him. But He accepts our effort. So if we just think of His form the best way we can, and then imbue that meditation with faith that He is here, He is going to grace me for my effort, that is all that's required. Then we actually get divine benefit for our material meditation, which is the only way that a soul can reach God. If God didn't give us that riyayat, 
if he didn't allow us to get away with that, not a single soul from eternity until now could have ever reached God. But he just says, look, you give me your mind. You try your best to think of me and I will grace you accordingly and we'll go together. Okay, I'll keep gracing you, you keep meditating on me, my grace will purify your heart. And when you reach the state of total heart purification, what happens then is our mind actually becomes completely saturated with God's grace. Then the mind actually becomes divine. Our senses become divine. Then we become like Arjuna. And we can actually see him in his divine form. Then no more imagining, no more meditating. Just like you don't have to meditate or imagine that I'm sitting here. You can see me. Just that real. You will see God. You will meet Him face to face. But to get to that point, we have some work to do. We have to actually do the meditation, the Rūdhyāna meditation. So, we are going to do some Rūdhyāna meditation right now. I'll lead you through a short meditation. And after that, we'll have a little bit of time for question and answer. So why don't we all get comfortable? Close our eyes. What I'm going to explain to you is to help you get an idea how you can do the meditation on your own. There's really no right or wrong in meditating on God. I'm going to describe the form of Shri Krishna, although you could choose to meditate on any other form of God if you wish, but tonight I'll be describing meditating on Shri Krishna. Whatever image you can form is fine. There's no such thing as it's not good enough, it's not beautiful enough. Whatever image you can form of Krishna is fine. He knows you're trying. Just imbue that image with your faith that this is Krishna and he is right here before me. So what does Sri Krishna look like? According to the description of saints who have met Sri Krishna and then passed on this information to us, and also according to the descriptions, the eternal descriptions in the Vedas and Puranas, Sri Krishna is very beautiful. He is a male form. He has very soft, delicate features. You can imagine him being in the prime of his youth, like 16 years old. Although God has no age, but according to our worldly bodies, 16, 17, 18 is like the prime of our youth. So imagine Sri Krishna about that age. And he has a very pleasing 
bluish complexion, dark, you could say dark, you could say bluish. It's not a blue that you've ever seen in this world before. It's a divine blue. And it's very pleasing, very soothing, draws you in. His face is very nice to look at. His eyes are very attractive, large, almond-shaped eyes, which are naturally black around the edges and are beautifully framed by his long eyelashes and perfectly bow-shaped eyebrows. His face is also framed by his beautiful shiny black locks of hair which fall down across his forehead and his cheeks down to his shoulders. And the top of his head is also adorned with a beautiful golden crown which is topped with a peacock feather which slants off to one side in a style. That peacock feather is an eternal part of Krishna's divine ornaments. Also, further adorning his ears and cheeks are the ear pendants which hang from his crown, large golden ear pendants, which shine whenever he moves his head and they flutter. He has a very nice smile, very mild, very friendly, very knowing. So he's looking at you with his beautiful eyes and his friendly smile. He's looking at you like he knows you and accepts you. Around his neck, he's wearing his banamala, which is a garland of flowers from the forest. He also wears different lengths of pearl necklaces and gold necklaces with jewels. And around his shoulders, he wears a saffron-colored silken shawl called his Pitambar. His wrists are adorned with bangles, golden bangles of different shapes and sizes. And around his upper arm, he wears the Bajuban, a golden armlet. Around his waist, he's wearing also a silken saffron-colored piece of material called a dhoti. And around his ankles, he's wearing golden anklets which jingle when he walks. Tied up around his waist is a reddish 
material which is tied up in a knot in a style on one side. And in his hands he holds his flute, his flute which he plays beautiful notes on, which entice and capture the heart of not only the saints in human form, but also the birds and animals. This is our Shri Krishna. He has always been with us. He is always with us. And He always will be with us. Right now, we are acknowledging that fact. We are remembering Him. He has always remembered us. He has never looked away from us. He has never looked away from you, even for one moment. So he's always ready to grace us. He's always waiting for us to look towards him, to remember him. And that's what we're doing right now. That is what Rukhyan is. We're not just thinking of Krishna's form as some kind of mental exercise. We're faithfully remembering Him. We're joining our mind with Him so that we can receive His grace. Now as you continue to do your own meditation on Shri Krishna, you can imagine any kind of interaction with him that you would like, talking with him, serving him, worshipping him. According to the nature of your own feelings for him, keep thinking of Shri Krishna and we'll add in some Kirtan. Whether you chant or not is up to you, but certainly keep bringing your mind back to Krishna. Keep thinking about Shri Krishna. Keep focusing your mind on his beautiful form as we also spend a few minutes doing some chanting. Oh, uh-huh.